Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience, Amateur Hour. Welcome back. I don't really have much to chit-chat about today, so I want to launch straight into today's episode. Let's talk about the neuroscience of pheromones. First of all, what are pheromones? So pheromones are chemicals that are secreted from animals that change the behavior of other animals, such as raising an alarm or marking a territory. However, the most common example is sexual behavior where the release of pheromones from one animal makes the other animal go Sexy times. I don't know. That's my, I don't know, sexy, sexy badger voice right there. (laughs) But did you know that you can buy pheromones on Amazon? I'm serious. $15.95 and all of that glorious, imported from Italy, sexy goodness can be yours. I also found a $385 version with a staggering 125 milligrams of pheromones per ounce. It's marketed as a high-end luxury fragrance that men love that will trigger animal attraction. Instead of actually getting to know your date, you can spritz spritz and hijack our biology, right? Right? I don't think it actually works quite like that, but let's find out together. So pheromones are hormones, much like estrogen or testosterone, but are secreted outside the body to communicate with other members of our species. Why would a system like this evolve? One idea is to prevent inbreeding. Some studies in mice have shown that inbred, or mice with genetically similar parents, like cousins or siblings, had significantly reduced survival when introduced to a new environment. Given that this is something that nature would probably want to avoid, it makes sense to develop a system where mice could tell whether or not they were genetically related. And here, pheromones come into play. Surprisingly, this is also true in, like, bumblebees and a bunch of other insects. So how would animals be able to sense these pheromones? Technically, with their sense of smell. In reptiles, amphibians, and non-primate mammals, these pheromones are sensed through something called the vomeronasal organ. So this organ, which you'll often find just called the VNO, is lined with receptor neurons that detect odor particles. In some animals, you can also see a behavior where the lip curls up to maximize access to the organ. I I realize I'm talking to you through a mic, but I definitely just did the thing, even though you can't see me. But you should do it with me right now. Just like curl your lip up. (laughs) Uh, Now, once these receptor neurons are activated... The signal travels up these axonal bundles to the accessory olfactory bulb, a little blob at the back of the main olfactory bulb, which is responsible for processing the information that comes through your nose. Neuroscientists have done recordings in these neurons and have been able to show that they are extremely sensitive, and they rarely fire spontaneously, unlike most other neurons in your brain. Now, this means that they are very finely and specifically tuned to sensing the pheromones of other animals. Now, this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but it is cool. So these neurons are able to increase their firing rate in a linear way with increasing stimulus, indicating that they might be able to encode stimulus strength. The more pheromones they sense, the stronger the signal is sent back to the brain. 
In fact, even small but persistent stimuli are effective, which is a finding that is in line with the fact that animals need prolonged exposure to pheromones to induce reproductive changes. So what happens upstream in the accessory olfactory bulb? Once the signal is sent to the AOB, it's actually sent to a bunch of different glomeruli, which is a fun word, or brain bundles is is an easier way to think about them. Now, this is unlike the relatively simple organization of the main olfactory system, where one kind of smell sensed by receptor neurons in the nose will send a signal to one glomeruli, or brain bundle. And that allows a certain degree of organization in this part of the brain, kind of like every brain bundle is for a respective smell. But it's not like that in the AOB. It's much more complicated there, which makes understanding the spatial organization in this brain region a little bit tricky. But regardless of the organization, it does appear that the system is capable of generating a distinct pattern of neuron activity from which distinct pheromone compositions can be deduced. So from there, projections to the AOB go primarily to the amygdala and a little bit to the piriform cortex. Let's start with the piriform cortex first. So in this brain region, it's, uh, it's a key brain region in processing and coding olfactory information. So that makes a ton of sense. But what about the amygdala? The amygdala is a big player in the brain. It helps to regulate emotions, fear, and encode emotional memories. And it is part of our limbic system, the system that regulates our survival behavior, feeding, caring for our young, fight-or-flight instincts, and reproduction. And here we see the connection. Given that we know that pheromones are chemical messengers animals use to communicate food sources, territory, and reproductive needs, it makes sense as to why the amygdala would receive such strong projections from the AOB. Activating the amygdala would also activate the hypothalamus, a region that would in turn control the release of other hormones and help to trigger all of those downstream behaviors. If you're getting lost, you're probably not alone. It's me too. I'll post a diagram, I'll draw, or a figure or something on Instagram to help you guys digest all of this. So that's roughly how pheromones work in non-primate mammals. But are they present in human beings? Is it worth buying that fancy imported from Italy spray? Well, first of all, we know that smell does play a pretty big role in our social interactions with each other. I'm sure you've avoided someone who smells like they forgot what a shower looks like, or remember that your favorite person in the world smells like a wooden dresser or clean laundry or just whatever smell that's them, you know, that's just them. There's also a very famous t-shirt study. In 1995, Klaus Vedekind, I pronounced that wrong, Vedekind, a Swiss researcher, had a bunch of men, I think 44 of them, uh, wear the same t-shirt for two straight days. The t-shirts were then put into into boxes and then sniffed by a bunch of women, who then ranked the men on a scale of attractiveness. So he found that the men the women had ranked as the most attractive had the most different genetic makeup from themselves. So we're actually able to smell people that we're more closely related to, and we consider these people less attractive to prevent inbreeding. But despite the evidence in support of the idea that human beings have some sort of pheromone system in place, 
We also do a lot of behaviors in the absence of hormonal cues or really any single determining factor. We can have sex in the absence of certain hormones, and we can be maternal without ever being pregnant. Our massive, highly evolved brains make it so that we are capable of taking in and processing a lot of sensory stimuli all at once. Arousal and reproductive behavior come about due to a bunch of different things, from how we're feeling, to our stress levels, to what our partner looks like and what they're wearing. So it would be unlikely that a single thing, like the release of pheromones, would be enough to stimulate our arousal. But that doesn't discount that it could be one of the contributing factors. Let's talk about anatomy. Do human beings have the necessary organs to sense pheromones and send those signals back to our big, fat, evolved brains? Now, hilariously enough, this is a big debate in the scientific community. So, technically, some studies have shown that we have a vomeronasal organ situated kind of between the roof of our mouth and the inside of our nose, but in some and not all individuals, and it also depends on what age you are, I think. Other studies have been completely unable to find this elusive little bugger. In people that did have the VNO, uh, it seemed to lack the sensory neurons and nerve fibers that would send the signal back to the brain. Furthermore, we don't actually have an accessory olfactory bulb to process that information. But what if our noses and our regular old main olfactory systems were able to sense pheromones as well, and that information was just routed through our ordinary main olfactory bulbs instead? So at the turn of the century, scientists found a possible human pheromone receptor in the human olfactory mucosa. Yum. <laughs> they started by looking at genes that encoded pheromone receptors in rats and then looked for similar genes in human beings and they found one, which is pretty damn cool. So we might be able to sense pheromones, might being the, the operative word here, but what would we be technically sensing? Do we release anything that could reasonably be called a pheromone? So the human axilla uh, which is just the scientific word for armpit, and I learned that yesterday, and I'm very proud of myself now. I'm going to be going around telling people that their axilla smells horrible. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the human axilla is a source for human odor. And if you were to extract some of those secretions, your sweat, you would find that they are a complex mixture of volatile chemicals, some of which have been proposed to have pheromone functionality. Some of the most common culprits are androstenone and androstenol, volatile steroids. Yes, good. So these androstenes are present in male sweat and can be detected by women, although with a lot of variation in sensitivity. And with those who are able to sense the substance, it seemed to improve mood and heightened focus, particularly to emotional information. And as I'm sure you probably know, improved mood means more likely to engage in sexual behavior. No one wants to bang when they're hung hungry, they're tired, they're stressed, or they're uncomfortable. And while that seems to be a pretty clear-cut result, there were a lot of confounding factors. 
The effect of the substance was dependent on whether or not there was a male attendant in the room. And that kind of brings back the idea that sexual desire is involves a lot of senses. So maybe it's the combination of both the scent and visual stimulus that triggers any sort of arousal. It also works in the other direction. In 2011, uh, a Florida State University group demonstrated that the scent of ovulating women uh, would actually cause testosterone levels in men to increase, which is kind of cool in its own way. But overall, there does not appear to be this clear, unequivocal reaction to any sort of human, quote-unquote, pheromone. Maybe it's an outdated mechanism. Perhaps earlier in our evolution, our scent would trigger mating behaviors or something similar, and we've simply evolved into more complex mating rituals. Our lack of knowledge on what specific compounds would trigger this kind of behavior and how they're transmitted in the brain makes this kind of a difficult problem to solve. So what about those special perfumes that you can buy for $385 or $15.99 on Amazon? that tout our abilities to trigger that animal attraction in your partner. Purchase at your own risk. (laughs) Personally, I have my doubts, but science says that we simply don't know yet. If there is an effect, it very much depends on the individual, and it's probably pretty small. You might be better off banking on your winning personality and your cool sense of humor. But that is a bite-sized look at the neuroscience of pheromones. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. I will definitely post that diagram detailing the pathway from nose to brain. Please rate and review and subscribe, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neurosciencemateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neurosciencemateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me, and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again.